I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast, as ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And this week, we're talking about the healthy athlete. This week... The New York Times ran an article charting the terribly sad and infuriating treatment of the brave Mary Kane, once the fastest high school runner in the country with genuine aspirations of Olympic glory, but endured terrible treatment at the hands of Alberto Salazar on the Nike Oregon project. Now, the article was met, quite rightly, I should add, with shock, frustration, despair amongst running enthusiasts, other professional runners and athletes, and even those just general fitness enthusiasts who stumbled across the story in a major publication. I thought long and hard about the article and the larger issue of emotional and physical treatment of athletes at all levels. I thought about what it means to be an elite athlete and the approach to the quest for world class that so many take and so many have passions and dreams of. I also thought about how I could or should respond to the various allegations put to Nike, as well as the incredibly brave article and video of Mary. Did I have anything to add to the conversation? So much has been said about her specific situation, as well as the problem that's endemic across so many female athletes and, I will add, male athletes. Various people have already spoken so eloquently and well. And it's been by people that had first-hand knowledge and the right people to provide opinion, at least in my opinion. People like Steve Magnus, Kara Goucher, Lauren Fleshman. There are many more. I take my hat off. I bail down to your insights. I also thank you. And with their opinions, I don't think that I need to add my voice or opinion to this situation, as these folks carry the very best possible insight. What I can do is talk about the healthy athlete more globally. What I think it means, the mistakes that many make with younger athletes and the mindset and approach for all of us in sport to actually approach everything from world-class to general performance in fitness and life and setting it up in the right lens. So today we're discussing healthy development and mindset in sport, world-class or fitness enthusiast through my eyes. I hope you listen and I feel that it's a worthy contribution. And this is how, ultimately, Purple Patch lives and breathes our approach to sports. So we're going to get going, but first, a very short squatty update, as many of you guys have reported to us that you're enjoying this, but I want to keep it short this week. But I feel like it's appropriate that with today's show being all about the healthy athlete, a natural extension of this theme is about setting athletes up for long-term development and health. And this is why we don't do quick fixes or make magic promises with a hacking mindset. So the squaddies right now, they're in the phase of training that I've taught, spoken about a lot over the last few weeks post-season. And said that another way, you could just say they're busy preparing their body for the hard work ahead. So the emphasis right now is technical development, developing the chassis, the frame of our body via strength and mobility to work on further deep muscular resilience and the very light stress of the muscles and tissues 
with key sessions that improve integrity and prepare our bodies for absorption of that hard work that's coming in the months ahead. Now, you might call this the very unsexy part of the performance journey, but imagine if we went camping and you decided to put your tent up, but just leave the tent pegs at home. The tent might look great, but if it isn't pegged, the first puff of wind, it's going to blow away. You see, with the health of the athlete equals consistency. The resilience of the tissue and the system provides the best opportunity to adaptation. And consistency with optimal adaptation equals results. So the health of the athlete isn't just the tagline, it's the route to performance. And it's why our squaddies are asked not to do random, but to go through a complete and critical phase of postseason. And now is the time. Because this phase for North American athletes is going to run through January. And then, guess what? Vroom, we start doing the bigger work. It's going to get serious towards February. So don't be that person that's chasing your tent around, that's blown away in windy conditions. Act now. And now, it's the word of the week. We like the way he thinks. Serious with the wings. Let's open the book. It's time to take a peek. It's the Dictionary Word of the Week. Yes, it's Word of the Week, and we stick with the theme and the word this week. Oh, how deflating. It's underperformance. I'm going to come back to my favourite subject. Guys, I'm going to talk about me. Now, I cannot imagine the pressure and the challenge that so many female athletes face under mental and physical suppression from dictatorial coaches. And as a male, I don't think I'll ever be able to. But my closest thing that I can appreciate on the physical side of their stories comes really mostly from my own doing of my athletic journey. Now, perhaps poor coaching help guide the way. But my physical ailments, ailments were a result of a rich combination of my world-sized work ethic and a little bit of my own athletic insecurity about not being good enough. In both swimming and professional triathlon, I absolutely underperformed relative to my hard work and talent. Despite that, really holding a great racer's mindset, as I'd now call it. And as I reflect on my journey, I simply failed to adhere to the driving principles that now, naturally, I might add, fuel the Purple Patch methodology and ethos. I lived the journey of overstressed and underperforming athlete, whether it was 25 to 27 hours a week of weekly swimming or 30 to 35 hours a week of triathlon training. I approached the program as a bulldog, executed without adhering to real recovery, no post-workout fueling, a terrible relationship with fuel as I chased race weight, and all the strength and mobility in the world was pushed to a mere afterthought. I was, simply put, fit and fatigued. My habits drove me mentally crazy and into physical decline, and in truth, my professional triathlon career was really over before it even began. I was fit, but I was not mentally or physically healthy, and I was not alone. Now, you can hear more about my personal journey if you go all the way back to episode one of this very show, 18 months ago now. 
but I revisit today to highlight a simple and important fact. And that's that the principles around the healthy athlete that we're going to discuss today and the purple patch methodology and mindset for endurance athletes doesn't bubble out of simple theory. It's not vapor. It all began with a driving passion for me to try and find a better way to break the cycle of underperformance of elite athletes and fitness enthusiasts and to ensure that as a coach and now a coaching team and company, we always aim to put the health of the athlete first. Now, I believe that world-class performance arrives off a platform of health and should drive every single program. I live the other way and despite a few short-term gains, strongly believe that long-term strategy is destined for underperformance with my old bulldog approach. And that is why the word of the week this week is underperformance. And so you and me, hand in hand, let's break the cycle. Let's crack the mold. There is a better way. And with that, Let's talk about healthy athletes. Let's get on with the meat and potatoes. All right, guys, we're beginning the meat and potatoes today, a focus on developing the athlete. With a tangent, we haven't even begun and we're already going on a tangent. This must be a first. But I want to start by delivering a message because you might have heard me mention in other shows about the perils of simply mimicking the habits of professional and elite athletes. And you might read or listen to stories about the extreme measures of coaches and athletes, all in the pursuit of finding performance, particularly around aspects such as intense focus on race weight. You might dismiss it. After all, we're discussing world-class performance. We're not talking about general health. And so many people will argue and do argue that elite performance obviously or often takes an extreme will to win. And it is the extreme approach which separates, proverbially, the men from the boys. What is it they say? Whatever it takes. Well, beyond this just being plain wrong, as you listen today, I want you to remember a fact. And that's that elite athletes, for good or bad, do act as the weather vane of our habits and approaches for all sports, all the way down to our kids. And the media and athletes and coaches all tend to seek answers from the approaches of the pros. And it's dangerous. Now, I should say there are massive lessons that we can learn from elite performance and athletics. I mean, look, even I cast our pro squad as the living laboratory of learning. But it's critical to understand that these lessons are all about taking the approach, but then, and this is the bridge, translating it and making it appropriate for normal lives and people. That second part rarely happens. It ends up being mimicry and it ends up being corrosive. Too often, the media, the coaches, amateur athletes chase performance and mimic every habit of the elites, and it's not for the better. So many habits are simply rooted from tradition, from the norm, from the established culture, and many of those habits are simply not performance improving. They're also 
as we'll find out today, not healthy. Now, our performance culture is shifting, but there is still a whole lot of fool's gold out there. So please don't dismiss elite sporting performance as just something short-term that demands some unhealthy habits to excel. It's a myth. It doesn't have to be that way. In fact, it shouldn't be that way. I believe elite performance can be built and should be built on a platform of health. And we're going to go into that today. So let that be your framing. And with that, let's get on with the topic at hand. Now, I want to first start with a little story about an amazing human being and a wonderful athlete. So let's get comfortable. Get on your pajamas, take a seat by the fire. It's story time. Many years ago, I had the opportunity to work with Ryan Hall, world-class American marathon runner vying for another Olympic team. Ryan had arrived to me actually through an extension of a friendship that he had with one of my professional triathletes at the time, Chris Lieto, and he was underperforming. Now, I had no claim whatsoever of being an elite running coach. I still don't claim to be an elite running coach, but I held a lot of empathy for his situation. Relative to his physical traits and work ethic, he was woefully underperforming. So I offered to help, less as being a running coach, more to be as a guide to restore a platform of health. Now, we reviewed his approach and habits, and I was astonished. In my mind, he was not healthy. And with that, he was not resilience. A world-class athlete void of illness in a classic sense, but with very limited resilience and vibrancy. He simply wore his fatigue every day. And even through the veil of one of the most caring and lovely guys I'd ever met, as I broke down his habits and his plan of training, several things buckled up. The first that is in his training program, there was nowhere near enough easy training sessions in the training block to allow high performance in the really tough performance needle moving key sessions. There was an overall obsession, very common in the culture of the running world, of counting weekly miles as his key barometer of training success. There was also for Ryan massive undereating relative to his training demands, and this is extremely common amongst all endurance sports, not always emotionally led, typically just through a little naivety, but simply put, he wasn't putting enough fuel in relative to the fuel out. He had absolutely no strength training. It wasn't a thing for runners then, and somewhat ironic as now Iron is now 60 pounds heavier, all full of muscle as he's fallen to in love with strength training. The list could go on. But the key point here is that his habits didn't support health, and his low health and energy profile were therefore not the gateway to performance that we were seeking. So with me, the mission wasn't really about racing. It was really a quest to restore vibrancy. Now, over the many months that we worked with each other, we shifted and evolved habits, his approach to training, his recovery, and much, much more. He ate like a king. He slept like a hibernating bear. He integrated strength training. His journey was actually the origin 
of the Purple Patch long time saying that we now live by. It takes courage to recover. A part of my persuasive urge to really go easy on the easy days and integrate periodic blocks of very easy what we called clean outs in the program. So what were the drivers? What I wanted to understand with Ryan was those were the actions, the habits and approach. But what were the drivers behind this behavior? I had to understand that so that I could tackle it and gain trust. And I believed that it was two main drivers. The first, and it will be no surprise, ambition. The second was the pursuit of race weight. Edging towards six foot tall, Ryan had a firmly imprinted, and this is very common amongst elite athletes, a firmly imprinted belief that his optimal marathon race weight was somewhere around 134 to 135 pounds. Now, I might be off a bare pound or two here. It's been a while, folks, but you get the opinion. That's not very heavy. And he asked my opinion. What do I think my race weight should be? So I gave it. Ryan, I don't count numbers. I count health. So that answer surprised Ryan. But I went on and I wanted to explain my belief. You see, to him I I outlined, a metric, a number, is just that. It's a metric. And so if he went about really positive habits, if he ended up being healthy and vibrant and his training consistency and quality was great and improving and progressing, and if the output of that ended up that he was 134 or 135 pounds, great. Bingo, there's your race weight, you arrived at it. But it would be folly to chase that number as a metric of success because that has a knock-on effect every time of leading to really unhealthy habits. Now, despite the logic, this mindset was a fundamental challenge because for an athlete whose entire career a majority of coaching advice was anchored in getting to race weight. Just look at his competition, after all. The Kenyans, they're all so light. How could he unblock this as being a key metric? Change is hard. I've talked about that in prior shows. And this was a situation where the change had to be incremental. So with this in mind, we shifted habits and behaviours and Ryan started to improve. He began to feel energy. His training consistency ramped. He had less niggles. But the most telling sign, what was it? He was enjoying the process. Imagine that. He was having fun. Around this time, he hovered around 140 pounds. He liked to enjoy weighing himself every day. We couldn't quite break him of it. And he was a couple of months away from his next big race, the Boston Marathon. Ryan's natural pull and urges began to shift him towards getting to race weight. My pull was to keep him healthy. And I'll never forget the conversation we had. And he said, all right, two months away, what do you think my race weight should be? Now, I knew that he wasn't ready to not have a number. and so. In a coaching decision, I provided a range. I believed. So, I said, here is what I believe. 
If you race at your classic race weight, my prediction is you will not have a good race. But if you end up maintaining this consistency with these habits and you arrive at 138 to 140 pounds, I believe you will be strong, resilient and ready to run. I believe that you'll be fit and fresh. Now, I didn't want weight targets. I wanted resilience and that to be the mindset. Well, when race day arrived, where did he hover? About 137 to 138 pounds. But he was happy, vibrant, healthy. I didn't care. I didn't need to know the race weight. I never asked him to weigh in. You could see the vibrancy. You could hear it in the voice. So different than the meek and shadowed athlete of only five months prior. His result that day? Two hours and four minutes. It's still the fastest time by an American to this day. And yes, he did have a nudge of a tailwind. But the truth is that this was just a wonderful personal performance. And I honestly believe was anchored off of the years of development in his running. But also now combining with a platform of health. And this performance, incredibly proud as I was with him, marked the end of my journey with Ryan. But that little short-term consulting was less about coaching and more about habit development and behavior change. My goal was health. A fundamental platform that I believe, as we will explore today, is the appropriate lens for any coach and athlete to live by. And so Ryan's story is just a snippet from world-class performance. I don't claim to be a great elite running coach. I'm not. But I will retain pragmatism and belief in health being so critically important. Many of you listening may be wondering, what's that got to do with me and my quest for personal performance? The truth is that the athlete health should be the central component of long-term development of all levels of athlete. Now, a dirty truth as we go into this, and it pains me to admit this, but short-term gains can be made all the way up to world-class with very unhealthy approaches and on a platform that quite simply isn't healthy. So there is a hack, a shortcut, but it's always short-term. And it's up to the coach to determine what the passage and mindset will anchor both fundamental belief missions and habits for the athlete. And so today I can only talk about Purple Patch, but we are consistently clear for amateur athletes. And that is the driving mindset that's built on the platform of health. Number one, yes, we do want you to improve. Imagine that. We want success in your sporting goals and your results. It is the common thread across all athletes. And we are deadly serious, with a wink, of this mission. But, and it's a big but, not at the expense of health, work and life performance. You see, ultimately the quest for amateur athletes is performance within the context of life. And this means, quite rightly I should add, that we Purple Patch are not for everyone. For some performance-driven athletes, the end goal overrides the need for health or performance in other areas. The sporting goal defines. And I have empathy because that was me. I live that. 
But now I feel like that's a mistake. And I also refuse to take that approach or support that quest. And therefore, simply put, we're not for everyone. And so with all of that in mind, let's go through three sections of healthy performance, which in my mind equates for optimal long-term performance of all levels, including world-class. The first section, we're going to go through and define the optimal coaching mindset and I'll add athlete mindset for creating healthy athletes. We're then going to break down the 10 key habits that support long-term development and health of athletes. And finally, in section three, I cannot help but opine and provide a perspective on defining what a successful coach is. And with that, let's get cracking. Section one, the coaching mindset. Now I've broken this down into bite-sized pieces. And so here are my five tips for athletes and coaches when it comes to establishing the mindset to performance all built on a platform of health. Number one, a commitment. It starts with a commitment and it is a simple commitment to do the right by the athlete in terms of physical and mental health. We are all ambitious. We are all goal-driven. We can be crazily competitive. But if we begin with a commitment to be a steward of the athlete's long-term interests and make all of our decisions, yes, even the tough decisions, in that environment, we have a start. Now, with this commitment, I'll be the first to admit, I have not always succeeded here. I have made mistakes. I have allowed ambition, both my my own ambition and the ambition of the athletes, to colour decisions. Perfection is not possible. But the commitment must be the guide and it must be real. And so we must learn from our mistakes and allow this commitment to be our driving force. Number two, we seek long-term development over short-term gains. While we cannot pretend to know all of the twists and turns of the journey of the development of an athlete's career, we can commit to patient decision-making and prescription that is less driven by immediate goals and more by ongoing long-term development. You can set up your seasons, your phases of training and the progression of your prescription. And yes, along the way, The races are important. We have lofty goals. We want to excel. Hell, we want to win. And athletes, yes, are ambitious. But coaches and athletes are served by basing the fundamental training and approach in terms of seasons over a single race. And it is the difference between a pinball-like career that scatters around in a random pattern and the patient ongoing development of improvement over many, many years. Which one would you like? I hope you choose the latter. Number three, setting your barometer of improvement. While metrics and toys absolutely have their place in performance, I deeply encourage happiness and vibrancy over metrics as your key number one barometer. And this happiness and vibrancy isn't on a daily level. We all have tough days and moods, but it's a trend. It doesn't matter 
if your athlete's metrics are improving, if they're unhappy and low energy, performance simply will not flow. So your biggest barometer of improvement as an athlete and a coach, passion, enjoyment, love, happiness, the process, as tough as it can be, and it ain't easy. It has to be driven with a thriving mindset and no metrics can trump the importance of that. Number four, and this one takes incredible courage. Don't be a lemming. It is incredibly easy just to simply follow or mimic the approaches and the words of successful coaches in the sport. XYZ coach has success, so I'm going to mimic their style and their approach. It is not easy to go against the grain. If you believe that an approach strays from our point above, but for long-term health and development, it is absolutely critical. I remember when I first talked about recovery in the early 2000s and I was swiftly rejected as a quack and a life hacker. And in fact, it was completely a reverse. I valued strength training, but I was told it was a waste of time. But these were the components, recovery, strength, a platform of nutrition that I believe were critical. And it took some kahunas to stand there. I'll be the first to admit and stand up for what I believed in. Now, I don't claim to get it all right all the time. I certainly don't. But there were fundamentals that I had to. I felt I had a responsibility to stick to my beliefs around health. And I encourage you to follow your beliefs and hopefully you crack the code on the next basic and simple fundamental truth on keeping people healthy so that they can find performance. And to bookend, number five, probably the most important one. Remember that you're coaching or you are a human being, a very real human. It is a burden and a responsibility. Elite athletes are humans. Passionate, performance-driven amateurs and enthusiasts are humans. Always, always, always realize that sport fits within life and is not life. And so as an athlete, never let the sport define you. As a coach, never allow the sport to be the athlete. You can be deadly serious and absolutely committed to your goals, but don't imagine that this allows you to ignore the development of being a global human being as you evolve in your journey of performance. The stories that complete obsession ignite passion are seldom effective in the long term, nor do they lead to great long-term results. And so with those five defining mindsets, they become our drivers. They become the anchor in the framework that we exist in. But what about beyond these drivers, the supporting habits, the very simple, tangible supporting habits that help facilitate decision making, that help promote performance and health? I hope that many of these that we're going to go through are simple reminders. But we are now at the stage of the show that we must start to put theory into application. And so for long term, there's that phrase again, long term improvement on a platform of health. We must succeed in executing these 10 habits and approaches. Number one, not again, Dixon. Here we go. I've got to say it again. Number one, 
post-workout fueling. It is a key habit, and that's what it is, a non-negotiable habit. All athletes, all levels, every workout. Practice consuming calories following a session, carbohydrate and protein. It becomes a stress management tool, a tissue repair catalyst, an adaptation vehicle, and one of the most common mistakes that disrupts performance but also has a negative global health impact. There is your number one post-workout fueling. Beyond that, number two, a platform of really solid, healthy nutrition. Beyond the fueling, a commitment to a platform of healthy eating. And this means no diets. Diets don't work and they are huge catalysts towards disordered eating. Too many athletes and coaches lean towards restriction while most underfuel relative to actual physical demands. So instead, eat a balanced and healthy meal as your backbone to health, not as a vehicle for weight loss. And it is part of the reason that I never ever ask as a coach for fasted workout or caloric restriction across our athlete population. Okay, so we're two down and we've talked about foods, fuel, putting stuff in the body. Number three, a little to the side, your performance and health habit. You want to shift your view on sleep and naps into being a performance weapon. You see, sleep can often be viewed as a sign of weakness. But in fact, that is just a sign of performance and health stupidity. Lean into sleep, embrace quiet time on napping, and realize that it is absolutely critical to health and performance, sport, work, and life. Number four, throw the scales away. I don't weigh athletes. I don't ask their weight. I don't value it as a performance measure or a target or a goal. The weight of the person and athlete should align with the balance of the stresses in their life supported with integrating an appropriate training for where they're at in their development and life, as well as a backbone of really positive eating and fueling habits. And so the weight becomes an outcome, not a target. Really important as a shift of habit. Number five. This one, often neglected, but remarkably simple. Self-check-in daily with your energy. And by that, I mean honest reflection. I encourage you every day to begin your day with a very brief but critical, honest question. How do I feel? How am I? Now, this is not a question that deserves a throwaway answer in the same well vein as, Doing well, busy, when someone launches into a meeting and says, have you been? This is time for honest reflection. And the answer can provide the backbone that you can then act on and make decisions relative to your training approach. Yes, metrics and apps out there that claim and do trend and track your energy and your health status are great, but they'll never be the driver I always find that the subjective reflection should be the absolutely most important. So begin, how do I feel? How am I? Number five, on our health platform, habits. Number six, an absolute commitment to blocks of recovery. Performance doesn't progress in a linear fashion. 
ever. And you cannot thrive health-wise or performance-wise when you are under a constant stream of load and stress. You see, restoration breeds resilience and it must be embraced and it must be programmed. For an athlete, that means about every 10 to 14 days, every single athlete and enthusiast requires two to four days of programmed restoration, much lighter training and movement and what I would call restorative training. Remember what we say? It takes courage to recover. Number seven, as a coach and athlete, stray on this side of the line of caution. What I mean by that is if you're in two minds, you stand there on the day with heavy fatigue, should I push through? Should I race while I'm struggling with a niggle? Should I add more training load when I'm already tired? I would urge you to lean more on the side of caution over greediness. I've seldom seen an occasion when a refusal to back off when all of the signs are pointing towards absolutely backing off end up providing long-term gains and benefits. On the other hand, I have seen plenty of times when I decided to push through or I ask an athlete to push through and the results have been catastrophic. Now, I've made mistakes in this area. I bet every coach has, and I likely will again. But I have to commit to try to improve on the courage to say no, because a key habit and commitment, staying on the light of caution, creates consistency and over the long term, a much better predictor of performance. So there are three more. Number eight, very simple, and it's a blanket one. Integrate strength training. Resilience, mobility, health, your source of power. We are designed to move heavy things and every person should embrace strength training. From elite athlete to newbie, from soccer player to triathlete, from mum to CEO, strength training for performance and health every single time. Number nine, an open dialogue. Seek and retain an open dialogue around health. You're quickly going to know who your trusted resources are when you start discussing aspects of performance and health. As a coach, the mission should be to be open and supportive. But also, don't try and claim to have all the answers. And as an athlete, yes, it is your journey. But you're not taking a journey where you have to travel alone. Support and healthy guidance is critical. And finally, develop your filter. Number 10. A massive part of the unhealthy athletes is rooted in the culture of teams and the demand and language of coaches. But we also have to acknowledge the blizzard of bullshit and information that penetrates every aspect of our performance lives. Marketing is no longer about selling us a product. It's straying into aiming to evangelize how we think. And as a coach or athlete, you better start getting committed to developing your filter that I believe should be based in pragmatism, long-term habits, and basic improvements. Make a habit of refusing anything, anything that promises quick fixes or magic cures, and instead place all of your focus into nailing the basics and going on a journey. Don't fall for the next magic solution or diet. Simply put, 
And I'm putting this as cleanly as I possibly can. All that stuff, that life hacking, quick fixes, all of it is going to fuck with your head. It is not, what's the word? Oh yes, it is not healthy. And so, 10 tricks, 10 habits, a backbone of developing healthy athletes for coaches and athletes. And that's even before we even start talking about training prescriptions and progression of the endurance component. And so set the lens of the drivers, think long-term, think about the platform of health, adhere to the habits, and guys, you're 95% of the way there. And now we move finally to part three. Now, this is an adjunct to the overall conversation, but I cannot help but finish. And I think that maybe, just maybe, it's valuable, and I pine, it's important. I want to talk about good and bad coaching, and I want to filter the hype a little bit. And this might be, for many of you guys listening, perhaps the most controversial piece of the show today. It's a question, what makes a successful coach? Well, some of that, of course, is a little bit of opinion. And we could actually go to results. Are they achieving great results? So what is good? Let me ask you hypothetical on success. We'll take two coaches. Coach A has five, yes, five world champions. They have a rich history of creating multiple champions in many of the larger events in the sport. Coach B has had a litany of champions across major events, but has yet to have one of his athletes win that crown, the world championship. So who's a better coach? Coach A, every time, yeah? But what if we pitched the story a little different? What if we got a little deeper and we gave it a little more context? This time, let's start with Coach B. Remember, successful coach. So Coach B has coached 35 elite athletes. And of those 35 athletes, the majority of them have enjoyed elite careers lasting more than five years. Many of them have won multiple major events. A large group of the athletes have established lasting coaching relationships with their coach. They have longevity. And of the 35, 20 of those athletes began their journey as amateurs or juniors and went on a progression of development to world class. On top of it all, the coach has a history of incredibly low injury rate and major health issues. Now let's compare and contrast. Let's go back to Coach A, the champion maker, yes? Well, this coach has coached more than 150 elite athletes. And the majority of the athletes arrived to this coach as established professionals. And they're just seeking that final step to championships. The majority of the athletes have coaching relationships with this coach for less than two years, and more than 50% have major illnesses and injury rates, or they simply drop out of the sport. Of the champions he has made, in the wake of stories of stress fractures, broken spirits, failed dreams, and lasting physical and mental health issues, I could go on, but you get the picture. 
Now, I want to point out, neither of these two coaches are me, just in case you're wondering. But why do I tell the story of this? Well, have a think. What defines success for us at all levels? You could, as many will, say that this little story paints the picture of what it takes. Being the best isn't easy, and few have it. But at what cost? Is good coaching measured simply by the few that make it out of the prison camp of hard labour? Is success just throwing the challenging and soul-destroying approach that a few very lucky and particularly gifted and resilient athletes might cream through and get to the other side and become a champion? But what about the broken minds and bodies of those left on the trash heap? How many potential world champions did not make it? Are those just collateral damage? Victims of, quote, good coaching? I think not. And so, yes, some will be attracted to these types of coaches. But I urge you today not to fall into that trap. I urge you to avoid short-term thinking. Pursue your dreams. Chase your own brand of excellence. But never do it at the cost of your short or your long-term health. It simply isn't worth it. And more than that, ultimately, it isn't even the best route and the most effective. And with that, the healthy athlete. As a coach, it is the responsibility and the goal. As an athlete, it is your best path to optimal performance in sport, in work, and in life. Embrace it. I send you my best. Until next time. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers.